0: Grab your Bibles, turn to the the book of Jonah, it's going to be like, if you're trying to find it, it's like halfway between the, it's like more than halfway through your Bible. If you're going to use the Pew Bible, it's on page uh, 502, and if you have my Bible, it's on on 935. I've got the ESV. All right, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And uh, we're going to read them out loud. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, the reason why I mentioned the page number is underneath the, underneath the center aisle of of chairs, there are a couple stacks of Bibles. And you are welcome to use those and actually keep that Bible for yourself. And so the, the, the print is small, but the words are true. All right, let's read together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up. This is God's word. word. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for another day. Thank you for uh, the grace to, to live in your presence one more day. Thank you, Lord God, for the gathering of your church today. And we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that we would hear uh, through this story, this narrative of the prophet Jonah, um, words that would challenge us, uh, encourage us in our faith. We sang this morning a song that we're running to you and that, that is the, the desire of many of our hearts. But in reality, um, some of us, all of us in some ways in our lives are running not to you, but from you. And so, Lord God, would you, uh, would you help us today? Would you help us to see the ways that we are running from you? And Lord, encourage us uh, by your great grace uh, to, to stop what we're doing, turn around and see you in a new light. We pray that in Jesus' great name. Amen. And amen. So we're in a series uh, going through the book of Jonah, and we're calling it Running From God. The theme of Jonah is the theme of the entire Bible, and that theme is sin and grace. There's a lot of ways we could define sin. Sin technically is missing the mark. If I were an archer and there was a, a target on the back of the room, I had my bow in my hand, I pulled back, and I was going to use the arrow to try and hit the target in the back of the room. Um, to sin means to, um, to cast my arrow and miss the target. Okay? And so sin is a picture of us missing the standard that God presents for us to live in the light of who he presents to us in in his word. Sin is missing uh, God's mark. Okay? Um, We see sin portrayed in the Bible firstly with Adam and Eve. God put them in paradise. They couldn't have had a better life. And because of the pride in their own lives, because of uh, the deception of Satan coming in the form of a serpent. Adam and Eve did the negative. I mean, they they fell prey to um, the thing that God told them not to do. The one thing God told them not to do, they did it, and sin ensued. Uh, and you know, immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, they covered up. They hid from. Um, the guilt that they felt. They hid from condemnation. They hid because of the seat of being deceived by Satan coming as the serpent. In essence, Adam and Eve run from God. And this is the picture of sin in all of our lives. We miss God's mark. We don't do what God says, or uh, we fail to do what he says. We run from God. On the other spectrum of our lives and our sin is is God's grace. And a te- technical definition of grace would be God's unmerited favor. It's his kindness toward you when you don't deserve it. In the likes of the story of Jonah, grace is God pursuing us, and he does it in spite of us, which is the crazy thing. We shake our fists at God, and, and we choose to remain in control of our lives. That, in a sense, is running from God, yet God, in his grace, pursues us, anyway. He loves us despite our rebellion. And so last week, as we introduced the background to this book, I mean, we talked about a lot of things, but uh, we answered this one question. Why did Jonah run from God? And I'm not going to rehearse all that we said last week, but as we look at Jonah and the psychology of what was going on in his life and possibly his heart, here's what it comes down to. God asked Jonah to do something that he did not want to do. And Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do, principally because he didn't understand it. Jonah, um, what God told Jonah to do, didn't make sense to him. And, I mean, just stand back for a second. Has, Has God ever done that to you? Have you ever read something in the Bible that's an imperative, you're supposed to do it? Have you been impressed upon God by the Holy Spirit that you're supposed to do something and you just, I mean, it doesn't make sense? You don't understand why? you would be impressed of God to do those kinds of things. And I would tell you if uh, if you're a Christian here today and you've never felt like God was telling you to do something that you didn't quite understand or you didn't want to do, it's coming. Just wait for it. It's going to happen. And so if you're a person um, that has had that happen to you or possibly if you're a person that says, you know, I don't know if that's ever happened to me, uh, firstly, wait for it. But the thing is, uh, this troubles us because we like to be in control of our lives, don't we? I mean, we like to to have ultimate authority and control over everything that happens to us. I said this last week, God offends our minds so that he can reveal what's truly in our heart. And sometimes he does that by telling us to do things that doesn't quite make sense. God will ask you to take risks. He'll ask you to forgive someone that sinned against you. He'll ask you to serve someone that doesn't need, that doesn't deserve your service, He'll ask you to give something that's rightfully yours, that you labored for, and give it for free to someone that possibly doesn't need it or deserve it. And you'll think that that doesn't make sense, but God will ask you to do this nonetheless. And so in analyzing the reasons why Jonah ran from God, this is the Bible's goal. It, the goal is for, uh, of Scripture is for us to see ourselves in, in the many ways that we are Jonah. We are much like him. We sin, we run from God, and what we'll find out is God is continually gracious to us to pursue us. All right, today we're continuing on this same track, you guys are, you're going to have to bear with me. We're going to be in chapter one for three weeks, all right? This is a six-week sermon series. We're going to be in Jonah chapter one for three weeks. This is because there's a lot in chapter one, all right? So last week was the introduction. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this week. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1 next week. So, I mean, you can read Jonah chapter 1 in five minutes. All right? And then in week 4, 5, and 6, we'll be in chapter 2, 3, and 4 as we conclude the book right before uh, before Thanksgiving. Today our focus is this. What happens when you run? Okay, and we want to look at that um, kind of psychologically um, in the life of Jonah and apply it to ourselves. What happens when a person is... Uh, deliberately running from God, and we want to do this on two from two perspectives. First, we want to look at it from the human perspective: what did Jonah do, and what do we do? But then we want to turn the lens and sort of look at what I mean, God's reaction. I mean, what does God do when a person runs? And this is my goal in this. This is this is my goal as your pastor. Um, you know, we're we're a diverse crowd, and. Um, my perception is that there's some of you that are blatantly running from God. There's some of you that God is, I mean, you're saying no um, to God in ways that he would rather you say yes to him. You're saying no to God in everything, and possibly you're saying yes to everything else. God has been very clear and you're resisting him. And, you know, that may be a small segment of us. There are some others of us who may not be blatantly resisting God, saying no to God, running from God. But all of us, in a sense, um, are not submitting to God in some area of our life. be it ever so small. And so all of us, in a sense, are running from God. Instead of choosing to do what God says, we choose to do our own thing, and that is running from from God. And so let's read chapters, uh, let's read verse 1 through 4 again. We're going to concentrate really on verse 3 and 4 today. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to, uh, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord." But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I got three suggestions for you as to, uh, in regards to what happens when we run from God. Before, but Before I do that, um, what jumps out immediately to me, really at me in this passage, uh, I'm reminded that when you want to run from God, there's always many options. And, and we see that clearly here in verse 3. Uh, Joshua, uh, Jonah went. Joshua, who? Joshua. Jonah went to the port town of Joppa. There's actually a, a current city by the name of Joppa, J A P P A. That's in Tel Aviv, current day Israel. Um, so this city still exists. Um, Joppa would have been. Um, Joppa was in and out of Israelite control through the course of their history. And so this is possibly uh, a time when Joppa, um, Israelites weren't, um, they were not occupying the city of Joppa. And so Jonah uh, likely deliberately chose the city because he was trying to escape his people. He was trying to escape God. He wanted to go where there's going to be someone there, non-Israelite, that would help him do the thing that God, you know, he's trying to get away from God. He went to Joppa. And he found in Joppa a ship heading toward Tarshish. And I think the point um, here is that if you want to run, there'll always be a ship. Yeah, I mean, for those of you old enough to get the gist of this, uh, when, you, when you want to do something bad, there's always an opportunity, isn't there? Only one of y'all said yes. The rest of y'all are goody two shoes. Y'all know I know better. There'll always be options for you to do what you don't want, what, you, what you want to do. When you look at the, uh, your options to follow or not follow God, the truth is it will oftentimes look more preferable to not do what God says. And that's just the truth. And options will be everywhere to exactly do not what God says. Most of the time, it seems so much easier to run from God, that is, when you look at your life uh, from a natural perspective, than it is to simply do what God says. And so, so, what are some of the ways we do this? Uh, I'm going to give you one practical example, and the, and you know this this is an issue for all of us, and it's the issue of money. This is just an example of 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 ways that we try to outrun God, and He gives us options. I mean, there's options out there to do it. Wouldn't it be neat if we? I mean, there were no issues. We never had an issue with. With money in our lives that, I mean, money wasn't the thing that we worried about or, um, you know, had to labor for and all that. That's just not how the way our world works. I mean, money makes the world go round. Um, I think, you know, to live, we have to have, you have to have earned money or you have to have it, somebody has to gift it to you. Uh, We're supposed to spend, save, invest our money um, if you are a Christian, God calls you to be a good steward of your money. And a steward is someone, as 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, uh, receives money as a gift of God for your labor. It's not yours, but it's it's his. All that you have is his, and you're supposed to be a caretaker of it, to do the things that God has called you to do uh, in this life as a follower follower of him. And so if you're following Jesus as a steward of the money that God blesses you with, you're supposed to budget it wisely. Um, as a believer, you should be giving money for uh, charitable, noble purposes. You know, Jesus in the Gospels actually says more about money than he does about heaven or hell. This doesn't mean that heaven or hell aren't important to Jesus, but it does give us a, a picture of 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 how money can usurp us, and how it can overtake us in terms of importance. And I think it all boils down, boils down to this. What you think about money and what you do with your money is key because it says a lot about your heart, and that's what Jesus was after. So Jesus says we're supposed to be content with what you have. And so as you look at your life, if 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 you're following uh the the book here, you know, God's express will for you. Um are are you content with what you have or are you running from or to God in this practical area of your money? And even as I think about that, you know, I'm thinking about that new mall just opened. And uh, you know, a uh, a couple weeks ago, now a uh, uh, a month ago, I broke my iPad. OK. And this is not it was an iPad, too. It was old. But I do everything on my iPad. And so it was broken such that I couldn't do the things that I, I used to do on it anymore. And um, dutiful me. I had the money. I went and bought me a new iPad. And guess what happened? Doggone Apple went out and announced three weeks later, they're going to they're going to break out the new iPad. Right. So I'm like if, if, if that day. That day, I went to the the AT and T store. It's like, this is a brand new iPad Air. I've used it for three. It doesn't even have scratch on it. Can I give you this back? Get my money back and wait for the iPad Air two that just was announced today? Because I asked you if a new iPad was going to come out. And I said, I'm sorry, sir. You have to. It has to be less than fourteen days for us to take it back. And I'm like. So I'm thinking of all these ways that I can get me a new iPad. Well, I'll just, I'll just go on eBay and sell it. Maybe I can go on Craigslist and sell it. Maybe I have a sucker out there that'll take, my, that'll take my iPad back from me so I can have a new iPad. Isn't that just messed up? I mean, this issue of money, is an issue for all of us. The world, the world presents so many temptations for us because uh, the temptation is we want to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't know or don't like, Right? We go window coveting, I mean window shopping, and there's always ways to justify what we've bought. Um, I mean, we can just make all kinds of excuses, and so it's easy to justify that we, you know, what we need to spend money on. I need this, I got to have that. Money, as just one practical issue. Um, is one of those chief areas in our life where we can easily find ourselves running, and you know, and I'm talking about you know, just little common ways. These aren't blatant, overt ways, but they are possibly ways, you know, simple ways that come up in our life. And if we're not attuned to our hearts and what's going on within ourselves, then we'll let our wants and our supposed, you know, our, our supposed needs get in the way of being uh, a steward of God's very grace, as he's uh, beckoned us to as a disciple. What are some of the other areas? There, there are too many for me to name. But I think it's any way that we act to please ourselves rather than do what God desires of us. Running from God is manifesting in any way that we've preferred our will instead of God's. And I think in the final analysis, you cannot run from God without it costing you in some way. Look at what it says in verse verse 3. This is not going to be on the screen. So Jonah paid the fare and went down into the boat to go, you know, on the Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah paid money to get on this boat. And I don't know if, you know, we're going to talk about the sailors next week, so I don't want to get too much into this boat. But you can't, you know, ships boating in those days was nothing like the ships and boats that you're accustomed to. I mean, they were dangerous places to be. And he paid money to probably spend, you know, in, uh, he w- he would have spent months at sea just to go from, um, the western coast of Israel all the way to, to present-day Spain. He spent money to be to put his his life at risk. So it cost him monetarily, but of course, as you know, the story develops, it would cost him also spiritually, as, as well as jeopardize the lives of, of the others on the boat. All right, so with that as an intro, three suggestions for what happens when we run. The first thing is when you run, you make unwise decisions. I actually use the D word here. The D word's on my note, dumb. We make dumb decisions. But I thought that was too harsh, and I knew my wife was going to look at me, and it's like, so I just took it out. On my page, it says, dumb decisions. Just so you know, I'm not going to say that word anymore in this sermon, but when you hear the word unwise, Jeff is actually thinking And so, the, I mean, the last place you want to be in the 8th century is, is really on the sea, because it's not, it's not like boating and shipping like we know it today. Uh, for the ancient Near East mindset, the sea was associated with chaos, with wickedness, and with death. We could go on a, a long excursus in regards to this, this picture of the sea in Scripture. I got to take one minute. If you look at the days of creation on the second day when God parted the, the waters that were above the heavens and below the heavens, this is interesting, and it, does, it, it, it doesn't really connect with what we're talking about here, but there's something about the sea that's peculiar in the Bible, and, and it's a peculiar in a bad way. God does not say that day was good. And, you know, in all the days of creation, as he ended the days, go back and look at it. He does not say, it doesn't mean it wasn't good. He doesn't say when he parted, he basically parted the, the the waters and made the sky. He does not say that day was good. Uh, the Canaanite God was a God uh, called Yom. Yom is the word sea in uh, in Hebrew. And the Canaanite God, Yom, was a God of death. The word means sea. Sea was uh, a picture of of death. Of course, Jesus uh, when he calms the sea, we're going to look at this verse here in a couple seconds. When he calms the sea, he doesn't just calm it, he rebukes it. When we get to Revelation 21, chapter 1, uh, in the new heavens and new earth, guess what? There's no sea. Okay? So I don't know what that, you know, that's just interesting to me. Uh, and it's obviously excursus. But there, there is this chaos, wickedness, and death associated with the sea. And so the most unwise thing that Jonah could have done, because he's a prophet, He's a Hebrew. He understands this picture of the sea being a dangerous place. The most dangerous place for him to be to run from God would be to go to the sea, which means he's not thinking wisely. And this is what happens to us. We make unwise decisions. Turn to Proverbs. Proverbs is on page 339 if you're in the the Pew Bible. Proverbs chapter one, verse 7 Says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The, the, the category, the genre of Proverbs is the, the wisdom category uh, of scripture. And if you're a new believer, just trying to figure out, wh- I mean, where should I start reading my Bible? I always tell people, well, if you don't know what to read, start with the book of John, because that unfolds for you who Jesus is. But, uh, one of my disciples, one of the uh, one of the guys that just mentored me as you know in the first days when I came became a Christian, one of the things that he did was he read uh, a chapter of Proverbs every day of his life, and you notice there's you know there's almost one that fits every day of your month, okay? And Proverbs are I mean they're just wisdom for you to live by. They aren't laws, imperatives, but they are they're wisdom for you to that that explores the world that we live in and our lives and it beckons you to live life in a wise way. And the the proverb here really is talking about the fear of the Lord. And that's one of the major themes in the wisdom literature. Fear not from the perspective of I'm afraid of God, but fear uh, in the perspective that I'm going to revere, I'm going to respect the God of the Bible. And the, the, the wise man, Solomon is actually writing this, this first proverb here, and he says, not fearing God equates to running from God. That's, that's my take on it. Fearing God is it's just like running from God. Running from God causes you to do unwise or foolish things. When you run from God, and some of you know this experientially, it's it's like a mist or fog covers covers your eyes. You ever been? I mean, you've been walking or driving in uh, just a really foggy morning and not being able to see two feet in front of you. Um, we were living in North Carolina, on the northern part of Fayetteville, and I was driving my old new side. Sa- you know, I just got a new car. It was old Saab. I loved it. It was like one of the first cars that had heated seats. And uh, it was a a dark morning. It was foggy, and I see this little glare, and I thought it was the glare from a reflector on a mailbox. It turned out to be a deer. Guess what happened? Bambi hit me, (laughs) and I hit Bambi back. And I don't know if Bambi lived. I don't think she did, but my car was totaled by this deer, uh, and that really is what happens to you in a mist or in a fog. The things that you should see, you, you, you really can't make out. It, things don't appear as they really are. This is what happens to you when you run from God. You don't see things as they really are. If you, if you think that disobeying God is preferable and easier than obeying God, then you're seeing things through a fog. You're really in, in the, a deception of your life. If you're looking at the landscape of your life and you sense God leading you in a specific way, and if your response is this, that, 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 I mean, that what God is encouraging you to do just doesn't look fun. I mean, this doesn't seem right for me to do what God says. And I would tell you, uh, you're in some deception. You're looking at your life through a lens. It's, it's foggy. And what you think you're seeing, you're not rightly seeing. Sin running from God will steer you in this way, in this wrong, deceptive kind of a way. An old tent preacher, I don't know who it was, but it's it's a famous quote, I think by some preacher, said that sin will take you farther than you ever intended to stray. Sin will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. Sin will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. Sin here equates, I'm equating it to running from God. It never ends up how you want it to. Secondly, when you're running from God, you actually believe that you can get away with it. And this is the craziness of it. Last week, I said you can run from God, but you can't outrun him. You're like an Olympic runner. No, God's like an Olympic runner, and and you're just Urkel. And so wherever you start, he can even give you a heads, he can give you a mile heads up. God's going to be at the finish line when you get there. He's going to always be on the other side. And so there are likely some of you in this room right now who believe that you can continually ignore the inner voice of God. How I mean, how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to our spirit because he puts his spirit in us. He speaks to us through our circumstances. He speaks to us through the people that he puts in our life. And if you're going to ignore the inner voice, if you're going to ignore God in your circumstance. Hello. Hello. God is speaking to you. If you're going to ignore God through the people that he puts through your life, then you're going to miss him trying to make sense, make sense to you um, that run, you can't run from him. God is not out to get you back, as in vindication. I said this last week. He is out to bring you back. And this is exactly what Jonah was doing. Jonah was trying to outrun God. And, I mean, common sense. Jonah was a prophet of God. He should have known that there was no no way he could escape God and his bidding for him, yet he tried to do it. Thirdly, another thing that we do when we run from God is that our unwise decisions um, affect other people. Our unwise decision-making affects other people. And this is kind of close to what I said last week, that our sin always affects other people. But here's a nuance to that. Um, turn right in your Bibles to, to Proverbs uh, 13, this book of wisdom again. Proverbs 13:20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Um, you are like the company you keep. That's just a factor of life. It's on page thirty-five if you're in the in the Pew Bible. I hear you all turning. You know, sometimes it's good to just look around you and, and ask yourself this question. I mean, who are my friends? I mean, who am I running with? Who are those people that God, you know, that that life sort of has me congregated with? And this is the question that you need to to really, I mean, spend some time thinking about: Are my friends imitatable? are they Would I want to do what my friends are doing because if you got a good friend, then what they're doing is what you should espouse to do do you do you like to be with them? do you like to do what they do and and if that doesn't get it for you this this question will this will make you think uh, those of you that have kids, would you want your kids to imitate your friends? And if you say no, then you got the wrong friends you have the, you're running with the wrong crowd. Here's, what's ha- here's what happens when you're when you're running from God. Typically, you know, all of us have we we hang around people that are kind of like us. We're people of affinity. We just are. It's just how how life is. Um, and so, if you're running from God, very likely those people that are around you are also running from God. And y'all are just having a hunky dory time. There's no challenge. It, it's just all of us are doing the same thing, casually going through life. Uh, we got pseudo community. We're just having fun, all running from God together when, you know, God wants you to really have some people, at least a few, that are going to challenge you, challenge you in a way that's going to lead to heart change because that's where true change happens. And so when you're running from God, you make unwise decisions personally, but you also surround yourself likely with people who are doing the same thing that you are. All right, so that's, that's really three, three things. Keep this in mind. For those of you here who are saying, you know what, I'm I'm thinking about my life. I really don't think I'm I'm running from God. This last one here, do that. Look around you. See who your friends are, because your friends that are around you will tell you if you're running from God or not. That's the human perspective. That's Jonah's side. Uh, But there's, there's also another side. There's another side to to our lives when we are running from God. It's the divine side. We got to see what God is doing in this picture here. And just to be very simple about it, uh, when we run, God will send a storm. That's what God is doing. What happens when you run, God sends a storm. And I know just saying that is is messing with some of your theology. He's like, well, God, will God really do that to me? He did it to Jonah. (laughs) He did it to Jonah. He's done it to me. And I believe he'll do it to you. Verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. There's some interesting things going on in the text, particularly, you know, this whole, you know, four verses, particularly um, verse verse four. Um, this must have been a ferocious storm. I mean, uh, Uh, you've read, hopefully you've read a little bit for it, uh, through the book of Jonah by now. This must have been a a pretty bad storm because, you know, these aren't just pick me up sailors that this is their first time on a boat, um, out at sea. So for them, as you read on in the narrative here, to react the way they did, all of a sudden they, they, they're starting to fear what's going on on the seas, on the water. For them to react the way they did means that this was not just an ordinary, the the wind is blowing, the waves are kind of turned up, it's bad weather. I mean, they feared for their lives. The second thing is that the author kind of personifies, I mean, the ship comes alive. He makes his ship almost seem like a person. He said, so that the ship threatened to break up. It's like the ship has his personality, and it says, you know what? I'm not going to hold up under the weight of all the, 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 the water and this tempest that's going on. But the important thing here is to notice, I mean, who, who's the one that, sin, that, that causes the wind to blow harder? Who's the one that behind that wind is causing the, the waves to turn up and to, uh, to really cause the storm? I mean, God. it's God, right? God is the one that causes the storm. Jonah ran, God caused a storm. What we see happening really can be explained theologically in, in two thoughts, the sovereignty of God and, and human freedom, the sovereignty of God and free will. These two things operate side by side in Scripture, and we see them, I mean, we see it coming, coming to life right here in the book of Jonah. Sovereignty of God says that God has ultimate authority in his universe. There is none higher. It says that God is in control, that he's in charge of everything, of your life, of the wind that's blowing outside, of the tree that grows, of your car operating, everything that you can think of that you might think you're in control of, God is behind it in in uh, an autonomous way, making it operate in his world. He's totally in charge. He knows what the future is. He's working with us to make the future happen the way that he wants it. Romans 8.28 says it like this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's two important things in that verse. Firstly, in the sovereignty of God, he's working it out for our good if if we're in relation to God united through him uh you know by the by the uh by our trust in the death of Jesus on the cross then God has good for us he intends good for us but God is always working our lives out and the totality of the things going on in our universe for his own purposes God is for God that's what that says that verse says but here's the human side of that, the human freedom side. Is, it says we're not automatons, we're not robots, that we get a vote, that we, God put us on the earth, and just like Adam and Eve, we can see both the good and the bad to do, and we can, in our own right, choose the wrong. We can choose bad. We can, we can do it every day if we choose to. And the interplay of these two ideas, both philosophically and theologically, you know, if you let it be, they're mind-boggling. They really can be. But this is how I simplify it. God is, he's just in control of his world and my life. He, he really is. And those two things operate simultaneously together, okay? And we can be in God's will or we can be out of God's will, but somehow God's going to bring it all back to his, his purposes. In my decision and in my indecision, God is working things out for his own purposes. And so Jonah exercises his free will here. But God is still sovereign, and he's working to bring about his purposes. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is not surprised when we run. I don't know if y'all, I mean, you ever thought about that? You know, sometimes we try to, we, we do try to hide from God, don't we? It's like, I can't let, I can't let him know I did this. I can't, know how, I can't let him know I'm thinking about this. Too late. It, it's too late. We often have this mentality that God doesn't know what we're up to. Uh, I would tell you he knows. In fact, he knew before you knew. He knows the temptations that are ever present in your life. He's not surprised when you give in to them. He knows exactly what you're, what's going on in your head. He knows that what, what you know when what's going on in your head trickles down to your heart and you react from your heart. He's not surprised in any way because God is in your in your decision for Him and your indecision. Either way, but also in your decision against him, he's working things out, oftentimes for your good, but for his purposes, and his purposes will stand. And so, and so we run, and God does bring a storm. For Jonah, it was an actual storm. I mean, thunder, lightning, wind blowing. The sea was, I mean, it was at a rage such that experienced sailors were freaking out. Well, I mean, how does it look for us? I think God brings storms in our circumstances. These are some types of storms. Think for a second. I mean, what is, the, what is the hardest circumstance going on in your life right now? Is it a people, is it a person in your life that's just like, hmm, I just don't like them? Is it something going at school if you're a student? Is it, you know, if, if you're a young kid, is it your parent that's the storm? If you're a parent, is it your kid that's a storm? is it something at work? Could it be a money issue? Um, if you're single, is is the storm that you really want to be married? If you're married, God forbid, is the storm that you want to be single? Life's come to that. What's going on in your circumstance? And I, I would tell you, whatever that circumstance is, the the Bible would say God is in the midst of it. God is in the midst of it. He's using it, in fact. You know, one of the ways that God defines storms in our life is, is by the word trial. And we see the word trial show up in several places in Scripture, primarily in James. James chapter 1, verse uh, 2 and 4. This is on page 5, uh, 654 in your, uh, your pew Bible there. James says this about storms. Show me that verse. You got it? Press next. He's going to make me turn. All right, I got it. So James says, count it all joy, my brothers. That was probably my fault. I'm sorry. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the, the reference there was James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. So go ahead and write that down. Um, yeah. These are strange words to us. James, it says that we should consider our trial, hardship, our storms. Consider the storms in your life, joy. I mean, who in the world would do that? I think James' encouragement here is consider the difficulties of your life, Joy because God is working somehow in the midst of your circumstance. Consider it joy because God is with you in the midst of your circumstance. Consider it joy just for the simple fact that God is working. How is He working? He's going to, somehow, God is going to produce in this trial, in this storm, steadfastness, and steadfastness is going to lead to you being perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. I mean, that's some cool stuff. I don't know how He does it, but He says He does. And he does it not through making all of life hunky dory for you. He does it by bringing a trial, bringing a storm. Sometimes we suffer uh, relational storms. I mean, you ever had somebody? It might be a family member. It might just be a friend. It might just be somebody that God brought along to be a complete nuisance to you. And they just get on your nerve. I mean, there's just in every, in each and every way, the person just, just like, just gets on you. And you can't shake them. Like you you go here and they're there. You go there and they're there. I mean they're they're in your life and you know that they're in your life for a reason. And you oftentimes we think that uh, that the people that are nuisances to our lives, um, that we're there for them. But I would tell you sometimes it's just that exact opposite. Sometimes God's people put puts people in our lives that are an, a complete nuisance to us and he does it for us because he's trying to change us, trying to change our heart. Sometimes it's a health issue. The storm is a health issue. And I would tell you, you know, we're a young crowd. I mean, you don't have to be old, older for God to be working in your life in this area and to bring a storm. You know, I'm not older yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I have a I have a cap. You know, I'm a runner. I like to run. And, you know, running, running is one of the ways that I keep my weight off so I can eat whatever I want to eat. Like the let candy back there on the back table of which y'all haven't taken quite yet. All right. And so uh, I've got this calf issue and I haven't been able to run yet. And it's gotten so bad that it hurts when I walk. I'm OK right now. So start worrying. Uh, I can see the worry on your faces. I'm just kidding. Uh, but it got so bad, I actually, I, you know, I came to a community group, I said, guys, you got to pray for me because my calf is hurting. Sometimes God's in, um, uh, at our prayer group last week, Joseph, Joseph Workman, who plays the guitar, um, he's actually praying for my calf, and he says, I mean, I remember these words because it was, it was wisdom to me, and he says, Lord, uh, reveal to Jeff exactly your purposes behind what he thinks is an injury. And that was like Ramo to me. It was like a word from God to me in that this, my my injury came out of nowhere and it it likely wasn't an injury for injury's sake. It wasn't like I did something wrong, but God was probably speaking to me in it. Perhaps something like that's going on in your life as well. Sometimes, you know, our our storms and our emotions. I mean, have have you ever experienced how fickle our emotions are sometimes when we just wake up in the morning and life, I mean, it just... You just got you're in a bad mood for no reason at all. Sometimes this the 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 turmoil, the the up and downs of our emotions can be a storm. You know, the Puritans, uh those evangelicals that lived in the sixteen hundreds came from England along, you know, right after the pilgrims. And really much of our faith today and what we believe about the Bible comes from um, you know, the 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 work of the, the Puritans. They were avid writers in regards to how God deals with us in the, the realm of our emotions. And this is what they talked about, how God stirs us and really how he disrupts us in our, in our circumstances to bring us to the point where we would trust him. We, I mean, can you imagine that, that God would go to such lengths to cause us to trust him? I think storms are like interventions, and interventions is not a word that we use a lot. I mean, typically you hear that word in regards to, um, someone with drug abuse, someone, um, that's, that's an alcoholic or something. And, and inter- someone that intervenes, I mean, you just get in the way. You get, you're the middle man trying to mediate for somebody that's in a, a life threatening situation, something that could eventually turn out to be negative. You just get in the way and try and protect them, try and, try and help them. Storms are like interventions for us. Storms intervene and show us that we have to, you know, we have to deal with our hearts for life to get better. This is what Paul kind of mentions in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. I hope I got that verse. Yeah, I got it. This is what, um, you know, this is this is the, the end of 2 Corinthians where Paul is basically unfolding for his readers how God had, Shown him some incredible things. He's like, I, I shouldn't boast about this. In fact, I could be arrogant if I wanted to. But God has taken me to the third heaven. That's the place where God dwells. And Paul says, you know what? I don't even know if I was in my right. I don't even know. If, I don't know know if it was. This was like a dream, or if God like took me out of my body and took me up to the third heaven, or if I was in my body. But whatever it was, I saw some things that I can't even tell you. And then he goes on to say in verse seven so to keep me from becoming conceited to keep me from getting a big head because of the things God had shown me because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given me in my flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i'll not boast for uh, therefore i'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then i am content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i'm weak then i'm strong when i'm weak then i'm strong so paul is i mean he's taken up and given this incredible thing and he boils it down to this this idea of god is not interested in us being strong rather he would he would rather have us weak he, God shows interest in us being weak, because when we're weak, when we're insecure, when we have no idea of where life is going to lead, when the storm has taken us down to, I mean, just nothing, Paul says that's when God can actually use you. God bringing a storm is going to cause you to turn from trusting in yourself to, to trusting in, in him. That's what God does for us in the storm. He's inviting us to, uh, to trust him. He's inviting you to stop handling life on your own because you're never meant to do that. We're supposed to live life trusting the Father who loves us. More importantly, we're, to, we're invited to trust Jesus who doesn't just calm the storm. He rebukes it. Luke 8, 22 verse, uh, verses 22 and 24. This is our last scripture verse. On that day, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. It's, it's hard not to notice some similarities between Jesus and the disciples in this boat on the sea, and Jonah and the sailors, I'll spare you. I mean, you can. I'm. I'm. I, I'm not going to. I don't have time to talk about the the similarities. What it all boils down to is trusting in is trusting in God, trusting in the One who not only can um, who's not who not only can calm the sea, but who rebukes it from its turbulence in your life. And the invitation for us is to, in our storm, know that. God is with you. Jesus is with you. He's in the boat and he's inviting you to not look at your circumstance, at your life, at your storm, but to look up at him because he controls the storm. Indeed, he rebukes it. God brought the circumstance about so they would trust him, not in themselves. And that's what God is doing with Jonah. And perhaps that's what God does with us when life Gets hard. Do this real quick, just to appease me. Take your a piece of paper. Take your iPad, your phone, your Bible. Hold it up in front of your face. Do it real quick. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. I, it, it works best when you're trying to read something. All right. If you got something to read, try and read. If you're trying to, if you got your hands in front of your face, try and try and focus on your hands. All right. It's hard, isn't it? Now pull it back a little bit. Pull it back a little bit. Pull it back a little bit. All right. The, you know, the farther you pull it back, the easier it is to read. You know, sometimes. Um, we can't see the forest for the trees. You know, when we have a difficult time, when, when, when life gets hard, we're in a storm, either from a circumstance or a, a pain in our body. Um, something emotional has happened, something we've brought on ourselves, just storms left and right. We, we just like, we come, we become insular. We turn in on ourselves and all we can notice is the thing going on about us. And God wants us to to pull that book back, just pull your life back and get a, a different view, get a different perspective. Because if you have it so close, you can't see the whole forest for the trees, that single tree that you're looking at. Sometimes we can't see the perspective that God would have for us in our life because we're so stuck on this little storm right there in front of us. Well, here's the good news. God has a place of solitude and safety in the midst of our storm. You know, some of you are going, I know some of you. I, I I don't know a lot of you, but some of you, I actually do know you. And I know that some of you have some significant things in your life that you call a storm. And and God is with us in the storm. I think that's the that's lesson we get from the Luke 8 passage about Jesus being in the storm. In Jonah... In chapter 2, we're going to find that he sends a fish. He sends a great fish. And, you know, we could read the fish as being a negative consequence in Jonah's life. I mean, he did what God said not to do. God sends a fish. That fish swallowed him up. I mean, poor Jonah. But the fish ends up being Jonah's salvation. God comes and rescues him. Through the form of a fish. And for us, Jesus is our rescue. When we're in a storm, we're to not look at our circumstance. we're to look at Jesus, who's with us in the storm. We'll see that fully in chapter two. Jesus invites Jesus invites you to be with him, to trust him, especially in your storm. You know, in a storm, we can respond in three ways. You can respond in three ways. Like the sailors, you can be fearful for your life. You know, I'm alone. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. It's only me. What am I going to do to save myself from this storm? You could be like Jonah. You could be angry. You can know that God is behind it. You can know that God sent the wind and you can be mad because you don't like what he's doing. Or you could respond like God is inviting you to respond. That's a response of faith. And a response of faith says, I trust you, Lord, even though I don't. I might not know what you're doing. Even though this might not make sense, I actually trust you. All right, here's your homework for the week. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I lied. I did have one more verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is like, this is one of the first verses I learned when I was a brand new Christian a long time ago. Perhaps you've read this verse yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Even when you don't know what he's doing, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And I guess the rest of that's in verse seven. All right. And he'll direct your paths. (laughs) This is is your invitation. This is your memory verse for the week. What do you do when you're in a storm? What do you do when life is so close up in you that you, you can't see any other perspective but your own? You just turn insular and it's just you and the life that you have to deal with. God says, pull back, look up. Jesus is with you in the storm. Let's pray. Lord, we have much to learn from Jonah, a lot, and we thank you for the, the little bit that you've shown us so far in these first four verses. Uh, you know, we remind ourselves we are Jonah. There's, there's all kinds of ways that um, even in these first few verses we've seen, we we lack trust. We don't understand what God is doing in our lives sometimes, and so we run. We run because of the circumstance that we're in. We run because this life gets hard. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would beyond what we see, God, help us to to trust. God, uh, help us not to respond to our storm in fear or anger, but God, that we will respond firstly by pulling back, seeing a different perspective, that you give us the perspective that you have, that you're in control, that even though you let us make decisions in our lives, in your world, ultimately you're in in charge. Lord, we... uh, we want to trust you with our hearts. And this, this proverb is so appropriate. Help us to lean not on our own standing, but, but but to lean on you, to lean on your perspective of your world, and to trust in you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.